Well, good morning to you all. I'm very grateful to be here. Last year, Jan and I were coming home from Uganda, and uh, we'd flown up to London, and from London we were headed to Chicago. And about two hours out of London, we could start to smell electrical fire smoke. And there was a fire in the cockpit. We diverted to Iceland, so I'm very happy to be here this morning because I'm happy to be anywhere. <laughs> no. And uh, the Lord had... I'm, I'm going to tell you the story. So we're in this plane, and it's very tense, and they're shutting everything down, and Jan and I happened to be in an exit row. So the flight crew, or the, the cabin crew, was having a very intense conversation with us, and I'm feeling the need to, like, review that little card one more time, you know? It's like, I think I want to do a little homework here. And... Um, uh, we were, we, we were diverting, and the, the, the pilot had come over the intercom. He didn't know he was doing it. And here's what we heard from the cockpit. We gotta go! Just like that. <laughs> the flight attendant picks up the phone. We can hear you. You're on the PA, too. He'd probably keyed both buttons on his, his microphone. So we were all feeling pretty tense, and I looked over at my sweetheart. Jan and I crossed our 36th anniversary this year, and, and um, I didn't know what to say. Sorry, I drug you to Africa, now I'm going to kill you. You know, I, you know this wasn't in, in our plan for that. And, and so I felt like what, what the Lord did is I just, he just riveted my attention on, on, on the Apostle Paul when he was on the boat for two weeks and they'd given up all hope of being saved. And when the angel shows up, he says, in answer to your prayers, the Lord will save your life and the life of everybody on the boat. So that inspired me. So I immediately had a five-point prayer in my mind. Just quietly there, I didn't grab Jan, I didn't try and lead the plane in a prayer. I just said to Jesus, Lord, I want to ask, I want to ask that nobody dies. I want to ask for no injury. I want to ask that we do not put down in the water. I want to ask that we do not have to blow the hatch, the, the exit door. I want to ask that we all walk off this plane. Amen. And as soon as I finished praying that prayer, this is true, the very next thought in my mind was, better men than you have gone down in planes. And that's true. Better men than me had gone down in planes. And there's no denying that. And so I just said, P.S. Lord, your word says that you have mercy on the poor and the pathetic, so I know I could qualify. <laughs> and I'm happy to report when we, when we saw land, it's a beautiful sight, I thought, oh, we're going to at least make it to land. And then I thought, uh, what if the landing gear doesn't go down? It's an electrical fire. But then we heard that sound of gear going down. It's not like flaps, it's gear. And they locked into place and the flight attendant looked back at me and I smiled and said, isn't that a beautiful sound? And then I thought, eh, what if we don't have brakes? It's an electrical fire, you know? <laughs> so we finally touched down and you felt those brakes grab and they, they, they directed us way away from the terminal, fire trucks and ambulances and all that. The plane came to a stop and we sat there for a few minutes and... And they said, everybody, please get up and exit the plane and uh, leave, just leave your stuff. And so off front and back, we all walked off, everybody walked off that plane. I, we happened to go out toward the front and, got, and we looked back at that plane and the, the cockpit windows and the sides were open and smoke was kind of coming out and firemen were now running up the stairs. And I turned next to a guy, to this day, I don't know who he was, and looked at him and I said, it was really nice not dying with you today. And we just found that the Lord is faithful and he's kind and we're grateful to believe him and to follow him and to serve him. We're grateful to love somebody who loves us more than life. Let me just say again to you that this is one of my favorite things. Jesus would rather die than be without you. He would rather die than be without any of the 6.7 on the way to 7 billion people 
on our planet. He died not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. This is the lavish nature of God's love for us. He has loved me first. He has loved me most. More than I'll ever be able to love him back. And he's refused to change his mind. And he knows I've given him reason to change his mind. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. Stan, I love you back. I'm so grateful to, to be in your company anytime I can be. We do have a long-standing relationship, and your pastor has loved me back and been a dear friend to me too. And what I've known over the years about your pastor is, I mean, he's gifted, but he's just more than gifted, and that's the beauty of it. He's more than gifted. He's actually, he actually, he's actually called by God. And, and Stan has a focus of compassion on people. This guy, no matter what goes on, he will always peg to compassion. And this is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I'm a better disciple because of him and our world is certainly a better place. Yeah. So, the Great Commission and the greatest of these. My introduction is entitled, What Are We Waiting For? Well, after 30 years of pastoral ministry, the Lord reassigned me to work with leaders and to engage projects which address the needs of the world's most vulnerable people. My assignments is, have taken me to, as, to places as troubled as Darfur, Sudan, and in a very different way, our own Washington, D.C. In fact, I just returned from a trip to, to Frankfurt, and then that was five days in D.C. and just got in last night. I've been with some of the poorest of the poor, and with senators and congressional leaders, with the presidents and members of parliaments of many nations, and with our own ambassadors as well, with Rotarians from a wide range of cultures, religions, and ideologies, and with many pastors and church leaders from around the world. But the greatest thrill for me is when we're in country engaging projects, and we'll talk a little bit about that through our time this morning. What I'd like to do to begin our time together is to make an observation from the events of the life of Jesus at the beginning of what we now call Passion Week. The observation will lead us to a question, the question to an application, and then we'll chat through some specific points of focus and end our passage, our time together at a passage that's in 1 Corinthians. So if you have the scripture with you this morning, if you want to get your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 13, we'll be reading from the first part of that chapter toward the end of our session together. You're on your way to 1 Corinthians 13, and you know it's called the left chapter. And what I want to do is get us started with an observation from the very first Palm Sunday. All four Gospels record this event in the life of the Lord Jesus. Each of them adds some wonderful detail. This event is called the triumphal entry. Triumphal because of the huge crowd shouting. Triumphal because... The events of this day fulfill a 600-year-old prophecy concerning the Messiah, a prophecy which was spoken by the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. Sistine Chapel, I think that was Zechariah's mom's favorite picture of him. Okay. But what he said is the king of Israel would, in fact, come riding in on a donkey. Matthew and John both record the actual prophecy so we would not miss the significance or fulfillment. And I want to spend just a minute in the account Mark gives us as we make this very important observation about the life of Jesus and this awesomely important event. So let's read together. It's a two-slider. Let's read together the verses which record Palm Sunday's start. Will you join me? As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. 
untie it and bring it here. Do we have a slide of triumphal entry? Here you go. Kind of give a picture in your mind there. Well, did you see it? I mean, it's so easy for us to just read right past it. Here we are in the middle of God's prophetic and redemptive purposes. This six-century-old prophecy, along with all the others from Genesis 3.15 forward, are reaching their fulfillment. God's will on earth is going to be accomplished for the whole earth, for every man, woman, and child, for every tribe and kindred and nation and tongue. Every promise God has given will become yes for all people in and through Jesus and the events which follow this triumphal entry. The eternal destiny of every human being the eternal destiny of every human being is hanging, depending on Jesus of Nazareth and the fulfillment of God's will. Did you see it when we read? How did these events get their start? What put this awesome prophetic fulfillment into motion? In other words, how did the proverbial ball of God's will and plan get rolling? Well, Jesus intentionally, specifically, purposefully acted by sending two of his disciples to get the donkey, which would put all of this redemptive reality into motion. How this got started, the sum, is that Jesus started it. Jesus got the ball rolling by sending two of the disciples to get the donkey. That's the observation, which brings us to a Palm Sunday question. Since this was God's will... Why did Jesus have to ask a couple of his disciples to get the donkey? I mean, think with me for a minute. If God were going to cash in, and he was, on one of his 600-year-old prophecies, wouldn't it happen a little more serendipitously? I mean, should Jesus have to ask for his own donkey? Shouldn't someone else just magically show up with it? I mean, after all, we're talking God's will here, his prophetic and awesome will. Jesus won't have to ask Judas to betray him or Peter to deny him or the disciples to desert him or the Roman and Jewish authorities to crucify him. But he will have to ask for his own donkey. 600 years later, the Son of God in the will of God has to ask for his own donkey. And this brings us to our Palm Sunday application. As you and I consider our place on this planet and in God's will, we do have an active and important part to play. Please know and remember this, everything in God's kingdom is by grace, but it's not without choice. God has given dignity to every human being because every human being gets to and must make choices. Everything in the kingdom is by grace, but it's not without choice. And so the scripture says, choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose to follow. Choose to obey. Engage your will. Step out. Step forward. Jesus will choose intentionally, purposefully to recognize the moment he is in. And then in keeping with God's will, engage the purpose for which he came to our planet. And this, my dear friends, is the point and call for each of us. God's will requires intentional acts. 
God's will on earth for you and me requires intentional acts, activities that we choose to engage. Like Jesus, there are certain points of God's will we already know. We are called, invited, commanded, and expected to engage them. Not to wait around for some serendipitous and wondrous moment when the stars align and there's music in the background and magic in the air. If we fail to act intentionally, the moment fails and God's purpose may have to wait for another generation. Now God's will is going to be accomplished. That's never up for grabs. What's up for grabs is my participation in his will. That's up for grabs. Let me just say a, a geographical location for those of you who have a little bit of Bible in your background, done some Old Testament study, helps illustrate the point we're making, that we're called to act intentionally, to recognize our place in God's will and to make those choices. The location, Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was the spot that Israel was brought to after the exodus, after the miracle of leaving Egypt. And she was parked there purposely by God, and 12 spies were sent into the land to just check it out and just see if what God had been telling them through Moses was true. The good news is 12 spies went out and 12 spies came back. They didn't lose one of them. That's good. The good news is they all agreed on the information that they would present. Nobody disagreed with what was being said about what they discovered. They discovered some wonderful things. How rich the soil was. How beautiful the land was. How fruitful it was. They even brought back some of its fruit. Everybody agreed. In fact, everybody agreed that also the cities were walled to heaven and Israel was like grasshoppers in their sight. All of the spies agree on what everybody saw. There was no disagreement. The disagreement came in what the choices would be in, in the light of that information. God had made his will known to Israel. Their job was to go in and possess the land. Two spies agreed with God, Joshua and Caleb. Ten spies disagreed. Ten spies would not choose to follow God, but rather would choose to not follow God, and you remember the story. Now listen, Israel was no less loved. I mean, they ate manna for 40 years, and they drank water from rocks for 40 years, and their bodies fell, dropped in the desert while God waited for that generation to pass away. And one of their excuses was their children. If we do this, our kids are going to be at risk. And God said, the children that you use to exempt yourself from choosing to engage my will, they will go in and possess the land, but your bodies will drop in the desert. And they did. And they did. Our assignment is to recognize that God's will on earth will require us to act intentionally, activities that we will choose to engage, which brings us to this important assignment contained in the red letters, the words of Jesus, that we call the Great Commission. Great because of who gave it, great because of its scope and content, Lots of reasons to call it great. And I know many of us are familiar with this important passage of Scripture, but I thought we could read it together and just refresh it in our minds, our hearts, our spirits on this front end of your missions week. So would you join me? Let's read aloud together the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age.
This great commission has sent people out all over the city, all over the state, all over America, and all over the world. The master, the, the savior, the great king has it in his heart that all would be touched with the beauty and purpose of why he came. And so for just a minute, we should pause here at this familiar passage and affirm the purpose of the Great Commission. Jesus sends us out to the entire world with a message of life, vibrant, refreshing, death-defying, sin-defeating life. But for what purpose? Let me take a couple of ideas off the table. The purpose of the Great Commission is not primarily theological, though there'll be no better theology than this. Remember, ultimately, the gospel is not a principle. The gospel is not information. The gospel is not even a promise. The gospel is a person. We call him Jesus. We call him Jesus. When, when heaven marshaled all of its resources to harrow hell, to defeat sin and death, and to forever change the human destiny of our race, all of that resource was stacked behind a face. We call him Jesus so that we would know we're loved and not just well-resourced. The purpose wasn't primarily theological. Neither was it primarily eschatological. That's the fancy word for end times. You know, there's that scripture that says, and this gospel shall be preached in every nation, and then the end shall come. The Great Commission is not like God's meter running. Bing! Time expired. Here's your ticket. This is not why he gave us the Great Commission. Is the purpose for which you and I are to speak so that we may say we said it or so that those to whom we speak might hear and in the hearing have a genuine opportunity to respond to Jesus. Remember, this is our call, that we are called to be heard. In fact, I love this morning as the worship team opened us up with that song because the issue is hearing. We're going to sing till everyone hears. When Jesus entered and rescued my life, he didn't call me to a kingdom principle or a, some kind of worldview or, or some kind of promise. Jesus called me to himself. I'm not saved by what Jesus said. I'm not saved by what I think Jesus said. I'm saved by Jesus, crucified and raised from the dead. And he said, follow me. This is our assignment. And in the following, we should be making disciples as we go and as he sends. The purpose, the point of the Great Commission is not that we say it, but that others hear it. Well, at least I told them. Wouldn't that be great if that was my missions report? Well, at least I told them. After 9-11, the first question in my mind was, how do you love the Muslim world? I mean, there are red letters on loving your enemies. And I thought, Jesus, love your enemies. Lord, couldn't you have started with something a little easier? How about like, you know, love your wife or love your kids or love your parents? You know, why, why did you start with enemies? And, and then I started thinking, well, let's see. Uh, not everybody has a mate. We call them singles. Not everybody has parents, we call them orphans. Not everybody has siblings, we call them only children. But everybody's got at least one enemy. <laughs> okay, Lord, I think I'm catching on. Love your enemies. 
that the purpose for which we were given this great commission is that others would hear and in the hearing have life. Saying and hearing aren't the same. I grew up in Portland, Oregon for a couple of years while my dad was doing a graduate program up there. And we lived in this neighborhood in southeast Portland that had a one long street with three cul-de-sacs off of it. Southeast Ankeny. The neighborhood was full of kids. And in the summer, we would all end up in one cul-de-sac or the other for the day, just playing our little hearts out. So we would all gather and play, and we did kick the can and baseball and hide-and-go-seek and Tonka trucks and army and all the stuff kids play. And the fastest and the skinniest kid in our neighborhood was named Greg. And when we would play together, sometime during the week, the same occurrence would happen every week. At some juncture, Greg would not get his way, and all of us know, isn't that true about life? And when he didn't get his way, he'd always do the exact same thing. So he wanted to play third base, but I'd already dibsed it. He wanted the Tonka truck I was driving, whatever it was, right? And so he was not going to get his way. And Greg would stand up and he would yell at the top of his lungs, Oh, yeah? Well, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to hell. And then he would run home. <laughs> this happened every week. At some point, Greg wouldn't get his way. He would stand up and say the exact same thing. Oh, yeah? And then he would run home. Now, when Greg ran home, he could tell his parents, he told us. But I promise you, none of us ever heard him. We never heard him. And dear ones, the purpose of the Great Commission is being heard. The heart of the apostle was that all the Gentiles might hear. Well, in our 21st century world, hearing the Great Commission is the challenge. In the first several centuries, it was new news, not just good news, and the topic could gain a hearing. In the 21st century, there are fewer and fewer places where it, where it is new news, and tragically, fewer segments, even in our own culture, where it's considered good news. And so what is the context of hearing? What does the scripture present to us to help us understand how it is that others hear? Because this is the purpose of the Great Commission. I've identified four. There are probably five or six. But we'll just talk about four. And certainly new news is one of them. So when Paul was in Athens waiting for Timothy, he was chatting in the marketplace about Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were roaming by, and they said, hey, you are bringing strange ideas and new thoughts to our minds. Why don't you come and talk to us about it? And so a date was set, and Paul went to the Areopagus, and there preached a very eloquent sermon, and at the conclusion of it, there were people who heard and some who responded. New news. Most of us aren't in a place where it's new news. Another context of hearing is miracles. Peter and John are on the way to worship at the temple. There's the guy. He gets healed. The crowd comes. If you're asking how this happened, I could tell you. It's Jesus. He's doing it again. And others hear. Now, my problem, of course, with the miraculous is so far, I am unable to produce it on demand. And the Lord knows I've tried. I've tried. In fact, when I was in graduate school, one of my friends was given a very expensive Persian cat. And this very expensive Persian cat was pregnant. And the joy, the goal, the hope, the aspiration, the dream was to sell those kitties and pay for his graduate education. 
they'd be worth a ton. And so they loved that kitty and fed that kitty and the blessed event happened and three kittens were born. Ching, ching. But very early into their birth, it became apparent that the kitty wasn't a very good mom and all these little kittens were just languishing. So my friend called me, Steve, pray. Pray for these cats to live. Pray. Being a graduate student, I understood what he was asking, and I was on it. I fervently prayed for all three of those kittens to live. And within just a matter of a few days, they were all dead. They were all dead. He, had, he still does. He has four kids, and I wondered if I should call and ask him if he wanted me to stop praying for his children. My, my record wasn't so great on the miraculous side of things. We're talking about the context of hearing and the fact that, that new news creates an opportunity for the, for the good news to be heard, and miracles do. And I, I do need to say this, in spite of my track record with miracles, we need to be asking big because he's big. I, I'm, I'll be 57 before this year is out, and I've lived just long enough to know about things called inevitabilities. Certain things we see as inevitable. And there's a temptation at my age, and maybe this is near you whatever your age, that your prayers start getting shaped by inevitabilities. And you start lowering your sights and limiting your requests. And yet the red letters say, ask anything in my name. Dear friends, I just want to remind you this morning that he is not the God of the inevitable, but he is in fact the God of the impossible. The God that we pray to, the God that Jesus revealed. When we see Jesus, we see him. When we hear Jesus, we hear him. This is the God of the impossible. The Hebrew word is pala. It comes up the first time with Abraham. Nothing is too hard for me. Nothing is impossible to me. And the word also means nothing is too wonderful for me. Opinion along the way. This isn't part of my notes, so this you can consider for free. I think in heaven, this is, this is a, I just think this, I think in heaven, when our prayer lives are assessed, I believe that we will be rewarded for how we asked, not for how we received. I base this on Hebrews 11, which runs all the heroes of faith, and at the end of that chapter it says, none of them received on this earth the things for which they prayed and hoped. And yet, they were rewarded as those who had received because God was planning something better so that it would not be without us, that all of this would be complete. What if in heaven you're rewarded for how you ask, not for how you receive? Because when you receive, you've already had your reward. Dear friends, let's think and ask big. We have a friend in Washington, Doug Cohen. Here's what he said to me, Steve. When we think small, we become small. When we think big, we become instruments in God's hands. Brothers, sisters, let us think big. Let us pray big. Why? Because God is big. Our request should honor the greatness of his person, not our little pea brains. So I'm challenging myself, and I invited this challenge, that I would be praying to the God of the impossible, not the God of the inevitable. So, good news, new news, one way. Miracles, the second way. But here's two more that just bless me because these are available to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The context of hearing, tangible acts of love, tangible acts of love and relational connections. Tangible acts of love 
and relational connections, actions that we can choose to engage because we're in God's will 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Tangible acts of love. Well, that makes sense. What about the greatest commandments? What are the, what are the greatest commandments? Jesus was asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what is the greatest commandment? And he answered two different questions with the same answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. To the one asking about eternal life, he said, do this and you will live. To the one asking about the greatest commandment, he said, all the law and prophets hang on these two. What that means to me is if I'm not living out the greatest commandments, these tangible acts of love, loving God and loving others, if I'm not doing that, every Bible promise and every kingdom principle is moving away from me. Why? Because all of them hang on these two. When I'm engaging the greatest commandments, the superlatives, right? When I'm engaging them, every Bible promise and every kingdom principle is moving toward me. Why? Because they all hang on these two. Jesus came because God was demonstrating his love. In this shall all men know that you are my disciples and that you love each other. Okay, here's what that means. So, here we are in the, family, uh, the living room, and at some point you're going to get in the family room, and when you do, somebody in that family room is going to hurt you. They love Jesus, they read the scriptures, and they're going to hurt you, and when they do, I'm not saying if they do, I'm saying when they do. Would you please do what Jesus commands you to do? Will you forgive? Forgive. Not ignore, not deny, not pretend it didn't happen. In full view of the offense, you stand in to forgive. Every parable of mercy begins in full view of the offense. Jesus starts at mercy, leads with love, faces the facts, always forgives. Disciples are those who follow, who imitate, who stick. If you have a beef, if you have a problem, if something's going on today, please, dear friends, hear the words of the Savior, love Love, let love carry the day. Tangible acts of love. Let me talk just a second about these projects that we do. So we'll go into a country like the island of Zanzibar where, where David Livingston would marshal all of his resources before he would go in country. It's in that red circle there just off the coast of Tanzania. And we'll, we'll put a, a, a complete ICU unit in the hospital. All the monitors, central station. We bring all the medical staff to train, the biomeds to train. We bring a year of consumables so the unit can run for a full year. We warranty everything. And what happens is, and that allows the Minister of Health to write the small amount into their budgets that are required for ongoing consumables, and our units get up running and stay running. They stay running. So we went to Zanzibar and we were asked to do a project. It's an amazing thing. Next slide. There's a Zanzibarian. I don't know if that's really what they call themselves, but that's what I decided. And there he is, Pastor Dixon Kaganga. He's a great brother. And on Zanzibar, there is the David Livingston property, property that was owned by David Livingston. On it, just a small graveyard. And when he passed away, the property's deed was given to the Church of England. Well, Pastor Dixon got it in his heart to want to build a church and school on the David Livingston property. And so he wrote the Church of England and asked them if he could buy the property. They wrote him back and said, what do you want it for? He said, a church and a school. They said, if you'll put a church and school on the Livingston property, we'll give it to you. 
And they did. They gave him the David Livingston property. How awesome. That was the good news. The challenging news is that on the island of Zanzibar, the building department is completely run by Muslims. And every time Pastor Dixon would present his building permit request, they would find a reason to deny it for this or for that. And so he would wait the prescribed length of time and then resubmit and they would deny. And he would wait and resubmit and they would deny. Well, we came and did this ICU project. After, at the conclusion of the project, the Minister of Health for Zanzibar wrote a letter where he basically says, you know, thank you so much. The Muslims come to our island to build mosques and you came and gave our people an ICU unit. Saving lives, letting doctors do what they were trained to do, and we'll never be able to thank you enough. And interestingly enough, coincidentally, all of a sudden, Pastor Dixon's building permit got approved. And now there are eight churches on the islands of Zanzibar with property and with buildings because tangible acts of love are ways for us to be heard. That's the actual church on the Livingston property. I've had the privilege of preaching there, and it's a marvelous thing. Tangible acts of love and relational connections. Let, let me tell you about a project we did in Bamako, Mali, West Africa. Bamako, the capital of Mali, there on the, on the far side there of Africa. So we went there and we put in an ICU unit in the Dupont G Hospital, the teaching hospital for the nation. It was awesome. All this brand new equipment. I'll never forget, we were sitting with the Muslim Minister of Health with our missionary and with the leader of the national pastors group in the Minister of Health's office, and she's just stunned. <clears throat> Why are you here with this? Because Molly's always in the poorest 10 list of our world. Why are you here? <laughs> of all the places you could be with this awesome gift, why in the world would you come here? And we point to the missionary and we point to the national pastor and we say, we're here because of these men. They love your country and your people. And they've invited us here to do this work. We wouldn't be here without them. And without them, this project cannot and will not happen. Well, that put our missionary on a first-name basis with the Minister of Health. It's a beautiful thing, right? When, when we did the dedication ceremony, the president of the country actually came to cut the ribbon. President Tory came to cut the ribbon. It was covered on national television. And interestingly enough, four times on national TV, the Muslim Minister of Health thanked the Assembly of God mission for this project. Wow. But I want to tell you a story that happened behind closed doors. It was the day before the ceremony, and we were with 30 of Molly's healthcare elite. Dr. Charles Foe, who's the CEO of the hospital, and his whole team that were responsible for overseeing the health care of the nation. And we just finished this dialogue about this project and some of the details of how this rolls forward and how we train and different aspects of it. And at the end, I really felt like the Lord was putting it on my heart. So I just, I, I've got something else I'd like to say. So certainly, so I stood up and it had to be translated into French. And, and so I stood up and I said, I would like you all to know that the people who raised the seed money for this project are all followers of Jesus, as am I. And then I just chatted him through Jesus and God's will on earth and he taught us how to pray and here we are in partnership. And it's about a five-minute sermonette. Ten, you know, because it had to be translated. When I was done with my little sermonette, I was so shocked. I mean, I was stunned. This room full of Muslims burst into applause. They burst into applause. Now, Pastor Stan mentioned I was 15 years at Willamette Christian Center. I preached every Sunday at Willamette Christian Center. 
they did not clap so much there. <laughs> so my takeaway is Christians won't clap for the gospel, but Muslims will. Why? Tangible acts of love and relational connections are the pages that we may put the name and words of Jesus on and be heard. And the point, dear ones, of the Great Commission was being heard, not just saying it. Our friends from Teen Challenge are living this out every day right here in the city of Portland. Tangible acts of love, discipleship and relational connections. And brothers, it's looking like they're being heard, huh? It's awesome. It's awesome. It's beautiful. So that brings us to our text and our conclusion. I, I'm not texting somebody right now. I, I got the scriptures on this puppy. So I'm at 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you may be texting right now. I can only hope for divine retribution later. <laughs> if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. An important and spectacular list of activities is rendered useless in me and to me without love. Love is an intentional act that we choose to engage. Love is so beautiful because it requires no emotional anything. Jesus never asked me to feel any certain way. He just asked me to do stuff. Isn't it beautiful? I don't have to feel love. I just get to act in love. I like it when I feel it. It's just the feeling isn't what validates it. The action does. In this, God demonstrates his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you've read any crucifixion account, it feels bad. But that was love. So Paul starts with this awesome list. He starts with the PowerPoints, you know, like moving mountains, fathoming all mysteries, prophetic insight and understanding. And then he just trucks us all the way, on the, all the way over to the other side of the spectrum, giving away everything you have, surrendering your body to the flames. And for it all, he says, without love, we are, I am, nothing. The Greek term, the koine term there, oudes, O-U-D-E-I-S, is how you would transliterate it. It's such a strong term, it would require four English words to actually translate it correctly. The word for nothing, it means not even one thing. If I have not love, I am not even one thing. I'm not a rock. I'm not a piece of wood. I'm not a dirt clod. I'm certainly not a disciple, and I'm probably not even human. Without love, I am not even one thing. It's not faith which will love all things. It's not hope that will love all things. But love can believe all things and love can hope for all things. Which makes me think we should probably read this passage together and then I'll conclude. Can we get that Corinthians passage up there on the screen, please? Thank you, brother. Let's read this aloud together. Will you join me? 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Well, this brings us then to a God's will on earth recognition. Uh, if you will, a Zachariah get your donkey moment. Just like the one Jesus engaged in on that very first Palm Sunday. For all of us gathered here, a longtime church family member and first time guest, here's the truth. If we love, we cannot fail. If we love, we cannot fail. If we do not love, failure is certain. If we love, we cannot fail. If we do not love, failure is certain. Love, tangible acts of love, they're really the driver for why Jesus came and why he assigns us to influence the whole world. Tangible acts of love and relational connections are the pages that we may put the name and words of Jesus on and be heard. We've got a project that we're doing in Sudan at a place called Abba Island. Yeah, Abba Island. It's actually the heart and soul of Sudanese Islam. It's on the palace grounds of the Mahdi. The Mahdi was that, that 1800s guy that took on Gordon and his troops, the charge of the Light Brigade. It's when Islam took up its arms against the British rule. And we're going to Abba Island. There's a, a hospital there. And we're going to completely upgrade it with an ICU and an OR. And our friends who have done some advanced work for us have already mentioned to the hospital administrators, we just want you to know that everything we do here will be done in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The hospital administrator looked back and said, we would be happy to receive this gift in that name. Did you know the Quran mentions Esau, Jesus, seven times, and Muhammad only twice? It's amazing with tangible acts of love and relational connections, the conversations you can have with people. Just like Jesus came to talk with us face to face, this too is our assignment. And tangible acts of love and relational connections are the pages that we may put the name and words of Jesus on and be heard. And in the hearing, they can know the joy of life, forever life, refreshing, vibrant, irrepressible, eternal life. Irrepressible means unable to contain or control and you get around Jesus, who is life, and that's exactly what you find. He is unable to be contained or controlled together here at home and across the world. This is our assignment, to, to intentionally engage tangible acts of love and relational connections under the hearing that Jesus died to make possible. Friends, brothers and sisters, let us wait no longer.